0: The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Recent Advances and Novel Options in Depression Reviewing the Evidence for Gabo Modulating Neuroactive Steroids for Major Depressive Disorder, featuring Dr. Anita H. Clayton from the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia. Access the entire activity and complete the post test at peerview.com forward slash TTU 860. Downloadable slides are also available. Welcome to this educational activity titled Recent Advances and Novel Options in Depression Reviewing the Evidence for GABA Modulating Neuroactive Steroids for Major Depressive Disorder, featuring Dr. Anita H. Clayton from the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia.
1: In the United States, major depressive disorder has a 12 month prevalence of about 10% and a lifetime prevalence of over 20%. The costs are huge with an estimated $210 billion annually in direct or indirect costs due to MDD. And worldwide, MDD is a leading cause of disability. It predicts decreases in role functioning, social relationships, and quality of life and is associated with physical illnesses such as cardiovascular disease and stroke in elders, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, migraine, sexual dysfunctions. Monominergic antidepressant therapies have been considered standard of care for MDD for many years, but there are a number of limitations. First of all, the therapeutic response is slow. Second, often there's a suboptimal response or remission rate. Most patients who achieve remission still have residual symptoms of depression, and there's a high side effect burden with an oral, chronic, daily-dosed antidepressant. And that includes things like weight gain, sexual dysfunction, nausea, anxiety, and sleep disturbances. So if we had the option to design an ideal antidepressant treatment, what would we think about? First, we'd probably look for a novel mechanism of action, something different than what we've got, to potentially get more people to have a response or remission. We'd want to have a rapid onset. People have been looking for this for a while. But having a rapid onset, we'd also want to see that effect sustained. We'd want the drug to be oral and a fairly short course, potentially giving it um, as needed when people have a major depressive episode, and if it could keep them well for the entire depressive episode, or potentially if uh, one other retreatment was potentially needed. Um, Because that way, you could potentially avoid uh, the long-term side effects we see with daily dosing of antidepressants. And you'd want it to be well-tolerated. So not just uh, uh, acute, but also these long-term side effects you'd want to see being improved in in our new ideal drug. We know now that GABA has a role in the neurobiology of depression. So GABA is really the major inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain and CNS. It's at 30% of synapses. And there are some direct evidence to show that GABA's role can contribute to depression. So one, in depression, we see decreased concentrations of GABA in the brain. We see decreased expression of GABA synthesizing enzymes. We see altered expression of the GABA-A receptor subunits, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. We see reduced number of GABAergic interneurons, and the polymorphisms in genes encoding for GABA-A receptor subunits are different. And indirect links between GABA and depression include GABA's role in the regulation of the default mode network, GABA's role in the regulation of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which we're also going to discuss, and antidepressant effects of neuroactive steroids, such as allopregnanolone. The GABA-A ionophore has five subunits that define a transmembrane chloride ion channel. Benzodiazepines and GABA bind to synaptic sites, whereas neuroactive steroids, or NAS, which are positive allosteric modulators, or PAMs, bind to extrasynaptic sites. PAMs allosterically increase binding of benzodiazepines and GABA to their respective binding sites, increasing the probability of channels opening, resulting in an overall increase in mean open channel time and chloride flux. Neuroactive steroid PAMs, such as allopregnanolone, are also broad-spectrum enhancers of GABA-A receptors potentiating responses at both synaptic or phasic and short action and extrasynaptic or tonic or sustained receptors. This is in contrast to benzodiazepines, which impact phasic inhibition only. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is a neuroendocrine system that controls reactions to stress. It also regulates body processes like mood and emotions, sexual function and activity, and the immune system, among others. With stress, the amygdala activates corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH, the release of which stimulates the release of adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH, leading to synthesis of cortisol in the adrenal cortex and secretion of that cortisol into the systemic circulation. With normal functioning, cortisol provides feedback to the hippocampus to reduce HPA activity. Chronic stress and GABAergic deficits in the hippocampus and frontal cortex lead to local hyperexcitability. The resulting persistently high glucocorticoids downregulate the negative feedback regulation of the HPA resulting in HPA hyperactivity, and this closes a positive feedback loop that further amplifies cortical and hippocampal GABAergic deficits. These functional alterations may be phenotypically expressed as a major depressive episode. So, in Module 2, we'll be reviewing the evidence and the clinical impact of neuroactive steroids in MDD. I first want to talk about brexanolone because it is the only neuroactive steroid positive allosteric modulator at GABA A receptors that's approved for treatment of depression. It's approved for treatment of postpartum depression, and women included in the studies developed their depression either in the third trimester of their pregnancy or in the first four weeks after delivery and were enrolled in the study within six months of their delivery. It's approved for IV administration, and it is an exogenous version of allopregnanolone. It's a 60-hour infusion of brexanolone at either 60 or 90 micrograms per kilogram per hour, and it must occur in a supervised or inpatient setting. There's rapid remission seen at 60 hours, And patients could continue on stable antidepressants or initiate those during infusion. There is a boxed warning for excessive sedation because of the effect at the synaptic uh, receptor. And it, it could potentially be associated with a sudden loss of consciousness. So patients must be monitored for hypoxia using continuous pulse oximetry that is equipped with an alarm. And it's only available through a restricted program under REMS, where if the baby is visiting, uh, another individual must be present in case the mom did develop more sedation. These are the data from the 90 microgram per kilogram per hour study. And you can see that there was a rapid decline in HAMD-17 total score, such that at 24 hours, it was significantly greater than placebo at minus... 13.3 points for the mean. At the end of the infusion, at hour 60, there was even more significant decline with brexanolone, and this was statistically significant from placebo. And this was maintained at day 30, which was the final follow-up visit in these studies. Adverse effects were mostly associated with dizziness, presyncope, vertigo, and sedation and somnolence. Dry mouth was also seen, and uh, these are very similar to what side effects we will see with the other neuroactive steroids under study. So xoranolone is an oral neuroactive steroid GABA A receptor positive allosteric modulator being developed in the landscape program. It's, it, there are a number of studies. The phase two trial has been completed with 30 milligrams of xiranolone versus placebo, as has the mountain study, 30 milligrams of xiranolone plus placebo in a phase three trial, as has the waterfall, which utilized 50 milligrams of xiranolone versus placebo. In a phase three trial. Currently enrolling is the shoreline study, which is an open label, safety and tolerability study of xoranolone, initially 30 milligrams per day, and then xoranolone 50 milligrams per day being added with repeat treatments over a one-year time period as needed. The coral study is currently enrolling and it has simultaneous start. Of 50 milligrams of xeranolone along with an oral antidepressant. And another study that has been completed in Japan was a phase two study using xoranolone 20 milligrams and 30 milligrams per day in patients with MDD. And I will not be discussing those data. The first phase three trial of alone is the Mountain Study. It's involved a double-blind, randomized, one-to-one-to-one randomization of xeranolone, 20 milligrams, or xeranolone, 30 milligrams, or placebo. And these were taken once nightly for a two-week period. The inclusion criteria were a diagnosis of major depressive disorder with a score on the modus of greater than or equal to 32 and on the HAMD-17, total score of greater than or equal to 22 at both screening and day one prior to dosing. Patients were not admitted if they had active psychosis, had attempted suicide in the current episode of depression, or had a medical history of bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and or schizoaffective disorder. The primary endpoint was change from baseline in HAMD-17 total score at day 15, So the day following the last dose of the two-week course. And then patients were followed out for an additional four weeks to day 42. And then there was a naturalistic follow-up period out to day 182. Other secondary endpoints included change from baseline and Hamilton depression rating scale at other time points, changes in the Hamilton anxiety rating scale the madras at other time points CGI i and CGIS and the incidence and severity of adverse events and serious adverse events this is the general structure of the follow-up study that i'll be discussing the waterfall study and these are the results rapid decline just like we saw with brexian alone in Hamilton Rating Scale for Depression scores uh, at day three, even after two doses of, of medication, and then out through day 12. At day 15, which is the primary endpoint, xoranolone did not separate from placebo. So this was a negative study. uh However, you can see that this effect was maintained with both saranolone and placebo out to day 182. The adverse effects were similar, as I mentioned, to brexanolone, and I'll be going over those in more detail at the end. But one of the areas that was evaluated in the Mountain trial, not done elsewhere, was to look at sexual functioning using a validated questionnaire, which was the Changes in Sexual Function Questionnaire. At baseline, both men and women had scores, mean scores that were consistent with sexual dysfunction, and all groups met the validated levels for sexual dysfunction at baseline. However, there was no impairment of sexual function compared to placebo observed during the trial, and no significant differences between Xiranolone 30 milligrams per day and placebo-treated patients in the least square mean change from baseline in the CSFQ14 total score in women or men at day 15, day 28, and day 42. So this is a good sign. The second phase three trial is the waterfall study. And in this study, rather than 20 or 30 milligrams of alone because of the Negative outcome with the mountain study, the 50 milligram dose of xiranolone was used versus placebo. Again, administered orally for 14 days, and the primary endpoint was again uh, day 15 change from baseline in HAMD 17 total score. The inclusion criteria were pretty similar except it only used the HAMD 17. Total score, which needed to be greater than or equal to 24 at screening and day one prior to dosing, uh, the same kinds of comorbidities were uh, excluded, and also change from baseline in Ham D 17 at other time points, Ham A across uh, several time points, the MADRS at different time points, CGI I and CGI S. And incidence and severity of AEs and SAEs were also monitored. The demographics were pretty similar between alone, 50 milligram dosing, and placebo. Probably the one exception is there were more black or African American individuals uh, in the zoranolone treated group and more white or Caucasian individuals in the placebo group. Uh, BMI was nearly 30 in both groups, and the HAMD-17 total score mean at baseline was 26.8 or 9. About 30% of the patients were using oral antidepressants at baseline, and they had to have been on those for 60 days or more prior to enrolling in the study. And these are the data for the primary endpoint. At day 15, you can see the decrease in the HAMD-17 total score for alone 50 milligrams per day was 14.1, and the decrease with placebo was 12.2, and this was statistically significant. You can see that at the other secondary endpoints with the HAMD-17 change from baseline total score, these were also significant. Other subgroups were evaluated. And some of these are very interesting. The patients who were not using an oral antidepressant at baseline and throughout the study actually fared better than those who were taking an antidepressant. The age group with the best response was 25 to 50 years. Males and females were pretty similar uh, and fairly similar across um, black or African-American individuals, and whites. If the HAMD score was greater than or equal to 26, they so indicating greater severity, the outcome was better, and people whose BMI was 25 to 29.9 kilograms per meter squared did best. The change from baseline in Madras total score demonstrates very similar results to what we saw with the HAMD17 total score. And in looking at other measures, such as the HamA, also shows a very similar curve and outcome. Response or remission rates with saranolone in combination with standard of care antidepressant therapy uh, really did not differ. So whether it's monotherapy or adjunctive, uh, there was not a significant different outcome. The response rate at day 15 for xoranolone was 56% and 47% with placebo. The remission rate at day 15 was essentially 30% with xoranolone and 27% with placebo. The Shoreline study evaluates the effect of xoranolone as an episodic treatment for MDD. This is a very interesting design, and it was a year-long study. After screening that used very similar criteria as what we explained in the phase 3 placebo control trials, patients received xeranolone treatment for 14 days with a 14-day follow-up. The treatments initially included three cohorts, 30 milligrams per day of xeranolone for two weeks at study initiation and for all potential retreatments. 30 milligrams per day of alone at, at the first treatment, but then they received 50 milligrams per day of alone for their retreatments, and then patients who received 50 milligrams of alone for their initial 14-day treatment and at all retreatments. If patients did not respond to their initial treatment, they were dropped from the study. So only xeranolone responders participated in the observational follow-up and as-needed repeat dosing. During this time, patients completed the PHQ-9 remotely every two weeks. If they scored a PHQ-9 greater than or equal to 10, it triggered an in-clinic HAMD-17 assessment. And patients also completed the PHQ-9 at that assessment. And they were completing in-clinic visits with the PHQ-9 and HAMD-17 every eight weeks even if they were doing well in terms of their remote assessment of PHQ-9. If their HAMD-17 score was a 20 or above, then they received a new treatment cycle. You can see the mean age is about 45, and about two-thirds of the subjects were women. There's a fairly consistent Uh, distribution of uh, race and ethnicity to what we would expect. BMI was about 30 uh, as a mean, and the HAMD-17 total score at baseline was 25.3, with about 42% of individuals on an oral antidepressant throughout the course of the study. These are the total number of treatment courses patients received when they were initial responders. So people who responded to that first treatment, 43% of them stayed well for the 12-month follow-up period and did not require a retreatment. So just over 25% of initial responders required one retreatment, for a total of nearly 70% requiring one or two treatments over the course of a year there were smaller numbers that needed three, four, or five treatments in total. And I think that these may be a different group of people and may require uh, something additional or a change of their treatments if they become depressed after two treatments in a year. For the 30 milligram cohort in the Shoreline study, the HAMD-17 change from baseline at day 15 initially was 15. There were 210 responders to the initial two-week course, and they sustained these mean improvements through one year without retreatment. Among those subjects, their HAMD-17 change from baseline at six months was still 18 points, and their HAMD-17 change from baseline at one year was 18 points. It was generally well-tolerated, with about 68% experiencing at least one treatment emergent adverse event of any severity, but only 6.2% experiencing severe treatment emergent adverse events and 28 experiencing a serious treatment adverse event. 2.6% discontinued due to a TEAE and steady withdrawal was 4.4% due to TEAE. Similar number of adverse events were reported regardless of the presence or absence of pre-existing antidepressant therapy of patients reporting at least one treatment period. And here you can see uh, remission rates after various numbers of, of treatments or treatment cycles. And my takeaway really is that Standard of care oral antidepressant therapy conveys no real benefits. And in fact, it has drawbacks of daily administration, chronic adverse effects, cost, etc. The 50 milligram cohort had pretty similar uh, baseline demographics a mean age of 45, two thirds of the patients being women, BMI nearly 30. CAMD-17 total score at baseline of 25.1, and about 41% taking antidepressants at baseline and through this study. However, you can see among the initial responders, 55% of them stayed well for one year. Again, we see 25% requiring only a second treatment. So we have over 80% of patients receiving 50 milligrams per day requiring either one or two treatments over the course of a year. The data were evaluated for safety over one year, and about 69% of patients who initiated treatment with xeranolone 50 milligrams reported at least one adverse event, but it was consistent with the overall known safety profile. The majority were mild to moderate in severity and were composed of things like somnolence, dizziness, headache, sedation, insomnia, nausea, and tremor. 6.5% of patients reporting treatment of urgent adverse events led to discontinuation of the study drug, and about 8% were withdrawn from the study due to their TEAEs. There was no signal for increased suicidal ideation or suicidal behavior compared to baseline in any study period or dose cohort. And the mean HAMD-17 change from baseline at day 15 was 16 points with the 50 milligrams with 75% achieving response, that is at least a 50% reduction from baseline in HAMD-17 total score, and 40% achieving remission. This is combined safety and tolerance data from a study we didn't show you, MDD-201B, which was a phase 2 trial the Mountain Study, the Waterfall Study, and the Shoreline Trials. So over 3,000 patients have been treated with alone in clinical trials to date. There's been less than a 5% discontinuation rate due to adverse events in the MDD trials. However, in the Shoreline Study, 6.5% of patients in the 50 milligram per day arm discontinued treatment due to adverse events over a one-year period. The most common adverse events, as I said before, are headache, somnolence, dizziness, nausea, and sedation. Some adverse events reported over the course of a one-year study were not seen in the shorter studies. So upper respiratory tract infection, insomnia, and tremor were seen only in the Shoreline study. Few serious adverse events were reported in each trial. And they ranged with 30 milligrams per day of alone from 0 to 1.6%, and with 50 milligrams per day up to 2.5% over the course of a year. Some other interesting data that comes from a combined data set was on the SF36, which is a commonly used quality of life measure at day 15 early functional improvement with six of eight subscales were significantly improved compared to placebo. Four of those involved mental components and two of those involved physical components. And at day 42, all eight subscales were significantly improved. And this is really critical because functional impairment is one of the things that patients say is the biggest problem for them and persistence of these Functional impairments uh, lead to non-adherence and uh, other reductions in quality of life. Another neuroactive steroid GABA-A receptor positive allosteric modulator is PRAX-114. It also has affinity for extrasynaptic receptors. The data we have are from a Phase 2 open-label dose-finding trial in MDD. 33 participants received 14 days of PRAX-114 at doses of 45 milligrams, 60 milligrams, or 80 milligrams, and 13 participants received 27 days of PRAX-114 at 60 milligrams per day. Eligible participants ranged in age from 18 to 65 and had to have a minimum HAMD-17 total score of 22. The mean baseline HAMD-17 total score was 25 in both cohorts, although there were more men, 55% in the 14-day cohort. It was also generally well-tolerated with mostly mild adverse events and no serious adverse events in vital signs, ECG, or safety laboratory data. There were no discontinuations due to AEs, and the most frequent adverse event was somnolence which increased with increasing dose. The HAMD-17 least-squared mean change from baseline at day 15 ranged from 11 to 16 points across all dose levels in both cohorts. Also, ongoing trials in MDD include the Phase II Acapella Study, which is a placebo-controlled study for adjunctive treatment of MDD, and the Phase 2-3 ARIA study, which is monotherapy treatment with PRAX-114 of MDD. In conclusion, many patients with major depressive disorder do not achieve full remission of depressive symptoms with standard-of-care oral antidepressant paradigms. Gabaergic deficit hypothesis of depression implicates gabaergic dysfunction in the underlying neurobiology of mood disorders, including MDD. GABA-A receptor-positive allosteric modulators, such as xeranolone, are promising novel neuropharmacological approaches to the treatment of major depressive disorder.
0: This activity is certified by Medical Learning Institute, Incorporated. This activity is developed with our educational partner, PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash TTU 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sage Therapeutics and Biogen.